You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Donald Trump and his aides say he's narrowed down his universe of potential Supreme Court nominees to a handful, perhaps three or four or five. That's down from the 21 people he listed during the presidential campaign. A person who's close to the process described Trump's criteria for Bloomberg, someone who has a long and distinguished conservative track record, but ideally is no older than 58. Mr. Trump is said to be willing to go outside what has been the traditional box for Supreme Court nominees and consider someone without an Ivy League pedigree and possibly even a state court judge. The announcement is likely only a few weeks away and, I'm told, could happen even before Inauguration Day on September 20th, excuse me, January 20th. We're going to uh, talk about those criterias, criteria and what it could mean for Trump's Supreme Court announcement, who will be the next Supreme Court nominee. Our guest today is Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Steve, one name that keeps being mentioned is that of William Pryor. He's a, a judge in Atlanta, excuse me, in, in Alabama. He's on the Atlanta-based federal appeals court there. Uh, Donald Trump has mentioned his name. He's 54, so he's right in the middle of the, the age range. Uh, is it your sense that he is the front runner? And if so, what kind of Supreme Court justice would he be? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the two names, Craig, that I keep hearing the most often are Judge Pryor and also Judge Diane Sykes, who I imagine we'll talk about in a minute, who sits on the, the Seventh Circuit, the Federal Appeals Court in Chicago, though she keeps her chambers in Wisconsin. Um, you know, with regard to Judge Pryor, I mean, I do think that he meets almost all of the, the criteria that have been offered by the, the Trump transition team. Um, President George W. Bush actually recess appointed him uh, to the 11th Circuit back in 2004 because he was so controversial at the time. Um, he was part of a deal that was made between the so-called Gang of 14 that allowed his nomination to get to a full Senate vote in 2005, where he was confirmed very narrowly, 53 to 45. Um, you know, he's a former attorney general of Alabama, um, which I think should tell folks quite a bit about his credentials. Um, he's called Roe versus Wade, you know, the Supreme Court decision recognizing a woman's right to an abortion, um, the worst abomination in the history of constitutional law. So I think, you know, Judge Pryor is very much red meat um, for conservatives looking for, you know, someone to carry on the legacy and the, and the voting record of, of the late Justice Antonin Scalia. We're talking about Donald Trump's Supreme Court nomination. Our guests are University of Texas law professor Stephen Vladek and Carrie Severino of the Judicial Crisis Network. Uh, Carrie, Steve was talking a moment ago about Judge William Pryor. Um, given all that's happened with this this nomination, would wouldn't Judge Pryor sort of be an in-your-face kind of kind of statement by this new administration uh, towards the Democrats? Surely he would be incredibly uh, controversial and stir up a lot of opposition. 
Well, frankly, anyone on Trump's uh, list is going to be controversial and stir up opposition because you, uh, they're all people who are going to be consistent judicial uh, conservatives. They're going to be people who have Justice Scalia's approach of originalism to the Constitution. And uh, and I don't think that's something that, that the liberals are going to want to see on the court. Now, Pryor has some more explicit statements. I mean, we, we talked about his statement about Roe versus Wade earlier, but frankly, that's, that is presumably the position of everyone on this list. And frankly, the idea that Roe versus Wade is, is constitutionally unfirm is something that is shared across the spectrum. You've got people like Lawrence Tribe, who is a leading uh, liberal constitutional law professor, who says there is no substantive reasoning behind this opinion, even though I think he agrees with um, the, the end of it. So uh, I think people are, people are trying to try to drum that up into uh, more than it is. But while he may have more on the record than some people do, I, I think you'll see that his across the board, we're going to look at people on this list who are going to be um, originalists and textualists when it comes to the Constitution. And that means sticking with the Constitution rather than trying to read into it um, other kind of policy goals like the court did in Roe versus Wade. Steve, uh, is Kerry right in the sense that, that all, everybody on Donald Trump's list is going to be pretty similar? Let's, I mean, let me ask you about Diane Sykes, for example. Uh, somebody else you mentioned, somebody else Donald Trump has mentioned. Is she going to be as conservative as as William Pryor would be, only uh, with perhaps a, a bit of a softer demeanor? Maybe. I mean, I guess, you know, the... I resist the notion that that everyone on the list is the same. I mean, I think that there are there are subtle but important differences in all of these folks. And also, I mean, let's keep in mind that we, there's a long history of lower court judges, you know, moving one direction or the other once they're put on the Supreme Court. So I'm not sure that we should assume that all of these folks are equal just because perhaps they all share the view that Roe is wrongly decided. Um, you know, someone like Diane Sykes, what's different about her from um, a judge prior? Um, this is someone with state court experience. I mean, she spent um, the better part of 13 years on the Wisconsin state courts, first on the lower courts and then on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Um, you know, this is someone who obviously is from a different part of the country and so may, you know, come at some of these issues from that perspective as opposed to, you know, the perspective of a state attorney general from Alabama. Um, so, you know, I guess I'd just be careful to, to not paint all these folks with the same brush just because in the broader scheme of things, they might all be, you know, properly cast with the label conservative. Carrie, Diane Sykes just turned 59. Is, is she too old to be a Supreme Court nominee? I, I don't think anyone on this list is, is necessarily too old. And remember, of course, women's, women's lifespans uh, are exceed those of men, so you can subtract a few years right from her age if you're comparing her to the guys on the list. Um, I don't think so. I think all of these people are going to be incredibly uh, qualified. Obviously, you want someone who's going like, to be on the court for a long time. But, hey, look at Justice Ginsburg. She's in her 80s. She's still uh, serving on the court. So I, I think 30, uh, um, uh, 20 to 30 years in the court is a really long tenure, however you slice it. Carrie, um, who else should we be talking about here? One thing that I've been told is that uh, somebody with a compelling personal story might have a little bit of, a, of an edge. Is there, is there somebody on this list who has an especially good personal story you think might, might uh, uh, play well and add something to the court? You know, there's, there's a lot of great, great personal stories in there. The one that first jumps to mind when you talk about personal stories is Judge Grunder. He has um, a, a really, you know, challenging background where he, he, he had survived an attack, on, a domestic violence attack on his family by his own father um, and was, was injured in the process. I and mean, it was really amazing to see what he has overcome then to accomplish all the incredible things he did. I think that's, that's a really um, amazing story and, and 
by all accounts, a, you know, a really great guy as well. So, um, yeah, there's certainly, and I, I'm not saying everyone on this list is, is identical. Obviously, they all have slightly different, you know, um, backgrounds. You've got, you've got people who are state judges in this list, which I think is so interesting. It's not just the typical list of all federal appellate court judges. You've got federal district court judges. You've got state um, Supreme Court justices on there. So that, those, all those people bring a slightly different type of experience. And I think that's, it's going to be interesting to see how the president weighs those different things um, when he's deciding to do that. Steve, I've only got about, well, 20 seconds left or so. Is there somebody on this list you uh, recognizing you don't, don't agree with Mr. Trump on a lot of things? Somebody you would, you would pick out as being an especially good choice for him? I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of going against the grain here. And so someone like uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who's been very vocal in his opposition to President Trump and who has, you know, meaningful federal political experience, some of the great justices in American history were senators first. And it would be nice to, you know, get that kind of cross-branch dialogue back on the court. We're going to have to leave it there. Steve Vladek, Kerry Severino, thank you so much. Uh, coming up on Bloomberg, we will talk about uh, police taking pictures of your, dr- of your license plate. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.